Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, worship team. When he said the thing about the news, I thought he was going to say the story about the guy that was running across the United States to uh, raise awareness for some charity or something like that. And when he got into Ohio, he got hit by a driver. So uh, it's not real good for you guys' driving uh, skills there in Ohio, but... But no, God is good, and He is on the throne. And yeah, they did. The, the computers started talking to each other, so they shut them down real quick when they thought, realized it wasn't a glitch, that they were actually communicating. The other one knew what the other one said, even though the computer programmers had no idea what it was saying. The other computer knew what it was saying. So yeah, Terminator wasn't that far off, apparently. But God just put on my heart this week, it's really about expectation level and what holds down or depresses our expectation level. I was going to bring a balloon and use a balloon and then I forgot this morning because I got called in at four in the morning for a water break, but that's neither, neither here nor there. But if you have a balloon and faith is, you know, in the middle, the air in the middle of your balloon is faith. What the enemy wants to do is suppress that faith. He wants you to look at things that are going to bring that faith and compress it down and down and down to the point that it pops, that you have no faith, that you lose all hope, that you lose all confidence in God. And so what God showed me is that circumstances, when we view circumstances, that's what suppresses that faith. That's why we you know, walk by faith and not by sight. Well, what are you viewing with sight? You're viewing circumstances. You're viewing the environment around you. You're viewing people's reactions. You're viewing your, you know, awful spouse or your, you know, like your sick body or anything like that. And it suppresses your faith. So it, it really, it came to me in the sense of what's your expectation level of God? And I'm sure if I ask that question, everyone would say, well, yeah, I expect a lot from God. My expectation level when it comes to God is high. If I asked you, you know, do you expect God to be faithful? Everyone would be in here. If it was a scale of 1 to 10, you'd be like, 10. 10, God's going to be faithful. You know, does God love you? You'd be like, 10 again. It'd be, yeah, God loves us. But if I said, you know, what's your expectation level that God wants to prosper you? It'd be a 10. What if I said God will prosper you? That kind of comes down a little bit. Why? Because you look around at your circumstances. You look around at what's going on. If I say God wants to heal you, a lot of people would say, well, yeah, yeah, God wants to heal us. How about God will heal you? All of a sudden, circumstances, expectations start to come down. I mean, they come down in my own life because you've seen it not happen. You've believed for things that haven't happened. You've all these things have happened. You've seen people falter. You've seen all these things. And when you look out at the circumstances around you, they start to press down on that faith. And so when we see that, we have to understand that God wants to get us out of that mindset. It's not that circumstances or the environment or things that are happening aren't happening. That's kind of been the, the failure of the faith movement, per se, is that it's, it's, it's name it and claim it, proclaim it. You know, you just speak it and you speak it and you speak it and it's going to come to pass. Well, no, there's circumstances that are there. 
that sometimes it doesn't come to pass. And so people have gone almost shipwrecked thinking, well, if I said it, I'm supposed to have it. And not understanding that there are circumstances, there are mitigating circumstances, there are things that are going to... I mean, God, if you're praying for God to heal you, but God knows if you get healed, you're going to live for 20 more years and lose your salvation, guess what? He might not heal you. I mean, what comes to mind is Johnny Erickson Tata, who said, I wouldn't be as close to God as I am if she wasn't paralyzed. And you understand that that God knows more than you do, but God doesn't want us to try and be God and understand this stuff. God wants something very simple out of us, and it's believe, only believe. And so a circumstance is a fact or condition connected with or relevant to an event or an action. So like I said, circumstances are things in life that you can perceive, that you can see, that you can feel, that are going on, but if you're focused on them, will compress or depress your faith. And so we're going to walk through just three different types of circumstances that become obstacles to our faith. And the first one we're going to go through is internal circumstances. Now, an internal circumstance is your history, your family, your personality, your, your past, you know, your abilities, all these things. Everything that makes up what you are and where you're at in life is an internal circumstance. And lots of people are very aware of their internal circumstances to the point that it causes them to have no faith in what God can do through them. So you're looking at, if I perceive that I'm stupid and God wants me to be the CEO of a company, I'm not going to believe God that I can walk into that position and be successful because my internal circumstances are that I believe I'm stupid. And so lots of people deal with this. I'm, I'm not able. I'm too bound by this. I'm just whatever God wants to pull us out of or whatever God wants to push us into or whatever God wants to use us in. Lots of time, what, how we view ourselves internally becomes a deprimant. We have, to t- we have to get over that hurdle. We have to get over ourselves before we'll walk into faith. I mean, we did it when we walked into this church position as pastor. Guess what? Internally, I'm like, yeah, this is never going to happen. I can't do it. I'm not able. I never went to seminary. All these kind of things pop up in your head, and they become these circumstances that I can perceive that are deprimants to what God, the faith that God wants me to walk in. So if we look at the story of Sarah, and this is when, when God sent the messenger to Abraham, and this is right before Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham sees it, he perceives that they're from God, he tells Sarah to make some food for him, and she's in the tent. And in Genesis 18... Verse 9, it says, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. So nine months. And behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. So Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying... And it says saying, but really that's thinking. She thought it in her own head. 
After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? So Sarah's perception was all internal. I'm old. I'm barren. Abraham's old. This isn't going to happen. And so you can see how those circumstances of what she really was naturally was weighing down on her faith, trying to suppress her faith so she wouldn't believe for the promise that God had given. And so it says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. And so I really, that, I think that planted a seed of faith in Sarah where he, she's like, okay, this is a messenger from God because he just told me what I thought in my head. And even when I denied it, he said, no, you did. So that, you know, if you can believe, okay, he's reading my mind. Okay, I think he's probably right about I'm going to have a baby. And so you see that the natural was crying out to Sarah to try and suppress her faith. And that's what happens. If you see that, that, that when we are so like aware of ourselves, aware of our bodies, aware of our personalities, aware of our abilities and things like that, we're never going to step out into what God calls us to because in honesty, God's going to call you to do things that you're not able to do on your own because he wants the glory of you understanding you couldn't have done it on your own. I mean, that's how God works. If God calls you to do something that you can do in your own ability, it's not God calling you to do it. Because you get the glory for that. He wants the glory. He wants to use you for bigger things than you are capable of doing on your own. And so to be self-aware is a good thing in the sense of you understand who you are because we all know people who aren't self-aware. You know, like the people that think they're leaders but no one would like follow them through the McDonald's line or the lady in church that thinks she's, you know, Celine Dion, but she doesn't sound like Celine Dion. Like, we understand that, like, people that aren't self-aware kind of make situations awkward. And so we do want to be self-aware, but we can't be so self-aware. We can't be so self-conscious that it negates what God can do through you. This is what the enemy wants. He wants you to be so aware of your failings and misgivings and weaknesses that you'll never step out and say, but God. I mean, just like the Lord said to her, is anything too hard for God? God can use you as you are because He's God. God can do anything in you. Like you think, you know, this sin's too hard for me to overcome. You have to understand that's being too self-aware. Because there's nothing too hard for God to do in you and through you. There's nothing you can't overcome because you have God overcoming it for you, through you. And there's nothing that God can't do. And we have to be very aware of that. We have to understand that, that just like we talked about a few weeks ago, being 
being humble is not being like, oh, I'm so weak, I'm so miserable, God can't do anything with me, I'm just, you know, I'm a sinner, and oh, by the grace of God, I'm going to get into heaven on God's coattails. That's not being humble. Being humble is saying, I can do nothing for myself, but God can do everything for me, so I receive what God is doing for me, and in me, and through me. You're right, you can't get free from sin. You can through Jesus, though, if you'll just let him do it. You know, you're right, you don't, you know, you don't have the brain power to do everything that God wants you to do and be a success in what God's called you to. But guess what? You can through him. He's smart. He's super smart. He's able. He's very able. He's more than able. And he can do it all through you. And that's true humility. And so as we see that internal circumstances and how they try to press down on faith, we're going to look at external circumstances and how they press on our faith. And this is faith. And this is things that are going on around us and in people. Like an external circumstance would be you're believing for your spouse, but your spouse acts like an idiot all the time. That's an external circumstance that's going to weigh down on your faith. You're believing for a loved one, and the harder you pray, the crazier they act, and the further they go out into the world, and the, the, worse, they, you know, the worse things they do. And so that, com- that comes to press down your faith. Or you believe God's going to prosper you, and then the economy tanks, and the stock market's you know, in the trash, and you think, you know, how can God ever do that? Look at the economy, look at this. These kind of things are external things that come to press down on your faith. And so if we look at 2 Kings 7, 1 through 2, it says, Then Elijah said, Hear the word of the Lord. So here's the backstory of this. Uh, Elijah predicted a famine. So there was this giant famine in all of Israel. And so they're all starving to the degree that they're eating their own children. And Elijah comes to them after God gives him a word and says, you know, the famine's over. It's going to be, it's going to be good now. And so Elijah said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, you know, a portion of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and uh, two sheaths of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer who also, or in whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would have made windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So I want you to understand about this official. This official is looking at what's going on. Now, this official, it says, in who the, hand, the king's hand leaned. So you're talking about this guy was with the king all the time. The king was old. He walked around with this guy all the time. The chapter before this, the king's walking on the wall, and the woman cries out to him for help, and he says, what can I do for you? And she says, well, me and my neighbor made a pact that we would eat my son today and we would eat their son tomorrow but when we boiled and ate our son my son she went and hid her son and so you're like this official would have been there when this lady's conversing with the king so you want to talk about circumstances that make what elijah just said unbelievable 
it's that one right there. Like the outward circumstances to him were like, I just heard a lady talk about eating her own child. Don't tell me that all this stuff is going to, you know, that fine flour is going to be sold for nothing. Because right before that, they were selling donkey's heads and dove dung for like 30 pieces of silver and 10 pieces of silver. And you're saying, I'm going to get fine flour for one piece of silver. And so the outward circumstances were crying out to this guy, and it made him walk in unbelief. And so, I mean, I don't know if you know the story. Four lepers were outside the gates of the city. They said, why are we sitting here and die? Maybe we'll go over to the camp of the Sumerians and they'll have mercy on us. You know, if not, they'll kill us and at least it'll be a fast death instead of sitting here dying of starvation. And so they went, God made their, when they were coming, God made the Sumerians hear the sound of a great multitude of army coming. And so they all ran off and left all their stuff. And so they went into the tent and ate and went and buried some gold. They went into another tent, ate, and went and buried some gold. And they went into another tent and said, ah, you know, everybody else is starving. We probably should go tell them that what's going on. So it took them like two tents of looting before they were like, yeah, we kind of care about those people that are still starving to death. And so they go back, and the king made that official the head over opening the gate. Well, he opened the gate, and the people trampled him to death. So he saw it, but he never ate of it. But it was circumstances, outward circumstances, that made this guy in, just be in complete unbelief. And the same thing happens for us. When we see external stuff, when we are conscious of it, when we see it, we let it limit God. It's just natural. When you're aware of what's going on, you let it limit God. You really do. It's just a natural thing. That's why God doesn't want us super conscious of what's going on all the time. He doesn't want you to be like up on every awful thing that's happening in the world at all times. You know, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but that doesn't mean we're supposed to be so wrapped up in what's going on in the world that we're not conscious of what's going on in the kingdom of God. And so many Christians are so wrapped up in what's going on in the world. Like, I used to be super wrapped up in politics. I still follow politics, but I don't follow it to the same, like, emotional degree that I did. You can ask Alyssa. Like, it was just like, you, I would freak out about everything that was going on in Washington. And that's being completely unaware of what's going on in the kingdom of God which is supersedes everything that's going on with the idiots in Washington. <clears throat> and so we have to be, we, we just can't be aware of it to the tune that it, it's what runs our emotion. It's what runs our faith. Well, if this guy's the president, then all of a sudden I can be very you know, expectant that things are going to turn out right. But if this guy's president, then I'm going to be down in the dumps because everything's going to you-know-what in a handbasket. That is being conscious of outside influences and outside circumstances and letting that suppress our faith. And so the last, I said there was three, so the last one is hopeless circumstances. When we are constantly accepting what's going on in us, 
and constantly focused on what's going on in us and constantly focused on what's going on outside of us and in the world, we're going to get to the point where we're hopeless, where we let go of our faith, where we no longer are holding faith that God can move in us and God can move in a situation. Being hopeless is really being faithless. You know, these three remain faith, hope, and love. Faith works by love. These are all about expectation of God. You believe and have faith in God's promises because He loves you. You hope for what, you know, is to come because God loves you and you have faith in it. They're all connected. And so in Luke chapter 8, verse 41, we're going to go through the story and we're going to see a man that went through all three internal circumstances, external circumstances, and a hopeless circumstance in this really short story. And it says, Behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. So that's the first thing I want you to mark. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He was the head cheese. He was the spiritual, religious leader of this area. So it's not like just some normal guy came to Jesus. This would have been like the cardinal, you know, like the bishop of Boston decided to come to Jesus. And it's, he fell down at Jesus' feet. Which he literally prostrated himself, laid down at his feet, and begged him to come to his house. And he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So his daughter's sick. She's laying there dying. And what I want you to understand is this ruler's internal circumstances that he was listening to that made him have, you know, which is true, he shouldn't have had faith that God was going to move from him because God was only moving through Jesus at that time because Jesus is God. But this guy, he didn't have any faith in himself. He didn't think, well, if I pray for my daughter, God's going to answer my prayers. He didn't think, well, if I lay hands on my daughter, she's going to be healed. I mean, he was right. She wouldn't have been healed because he wasn't Jesus. But at the same time, you see that those internal circumstances, what he saw and perceived in himself as not able to get this thing accomplished of his daughter being healed, drove him to Jesus. But it says, but when he went, the multitudes thronged him. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler's house. So the, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. So I want you to understand right here, external circumstances just came into play to depress his faith. Internal, he couldn't get it accomplished. External, he, I guarantee you he saw the guy walking down the street and he didn't have a happy look on his face and so he was probably like, great. You know, this, is, this isn't good news. You know, my daughter's probably dead. Then the guy comes up and literally says, your daughter's dead, don't trouble the master anymore. And so you see that these external circumstances just all of a sudden like got real close to popping his faith bubble because he had lost all hope. So it became a hopeless circumstance. It says, but when Jesus heard it, he answered to him saying... Now I want you to catch this. 
Like Jesus instantly, before that faith bubble completely popped, spoke to this guy. And he said, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. So you see Jesus understanding all the circumstances going on around this guy at this moment. And he tells him not to be afraid and to only believe. That only believe. And then what does he give him? A promise. She will be made well. So you see all these circumstances and what does Jesus want him to do and what does Jesus want us to do? Don't listen. Don't look. Don't be concerned about the circumstances. Only believe a promise. This is what faith is. It's not looking at what's going on around you. It's not looking at what's going on inside of you. It's only believing the promises of God. And so you, it goes on. Jesus walks in. He puts out the people and says she's just asleep. And they all laugh at her because they know she's dead. Laugh at him because they know she's dead. And he raises her up. But I just wanted you to see that, that Jesus... The only believe is the biggest like, thing here that we need to understand. When we weigh circumstances, when we look at ourselves and our failures and our weaknesses, when we look at the world and its failures and weaknesses or other people, it weighs down on our faith. But the truth is that we are awful judges of mitigating circumstances like when we try to put ourselves in that position of judging whether or not God will or won't do something based on what's going on in the environment or what's going on in the circumstances the only effect it can have is to diminish your faith when we are praying for a sick child or we're praying for a sick loved one or something like that, if we try to judge the circumstances, well, you know, maybe God won't heal them. That's judging the circumstances. You're not God. He hasn't called you to, uh, I mean, he really hasn't called you to answer for what he will and will not do. He doesn't want you in that place. He wants you in the place of believing and only believing the promises and whether or not it does or doesn't happen, and what circumstances are or are not, you know, important in this situation. Like I said, you know, God's not going to heal somebody that's not, you know, that, you know, there's people that get sick and get saved on their deathbed. And it's God's will. Why? Because He wants them saved. Their spirit's more important than their body at that point. But you don't know any of that stuff and God doesn't want you to try and judge any of that stuff he wants you to just believe the promises we are not good judges like I said we are not good judges of the circumstances surrounding something Jesus God is the only one that knows the future <clears throat> he's the only one that knows everything every circumstance and every mitigating circumstance that is weighing on a certain situation God knows it 
you don't. And when we try to really answer for why God will or won't do things, the only thing we do is suppress faith. You know, when people, you know, and really when it comes to healing, people will ask, you know, well, why didn't God heal or why didn't God do this? You don't know. And it's not your, it's not your place to even try and answer that. Like, people want to know that answer. Well, you know, this person believed for healing and they didn't get healed and so they died. And we want to say, well, you know, we don't know. Maybe it wasn't God's will. Maybe it wasn't this. Well, that's putting, your in place, it's putting yourself in the place of answering for why God did or didn't do something. He doesn't want you in that place. Your answer should be, well, there's a promise that God will heal you. And that's it. That's all you have to worry about. Because worrying about anything else suppresses your faith. And your faith is that thing that is, it's almost, it was like, it was this crazy revelation that our faith does not really, I mean, it says to have faith. It has, you know, we're, we're supposed to live by faith. We're, you know, faith and believing and receiving. But our faith does not really weigh on whether or not God will or will not do something in your life like if you're believing for a healing if you're believing for a financial breakthrough if you're believing for the salvation of a loved one your faith does not dictate whether or not God will or will not move only his promises do like your faith does not people present faith as like faith is currency and you're buying stuff from God no God will or will not act because God will or will not act it's all based on his promises but your faith does determine whether or not you will or will not receive. That's the truth of it. Are you going to be ready to receive when God does answer? That's what your faith is. Your faith is going out there to pull on the promises of God so that when God answers yes and amen to those that believe, it's really a reception thing and not a moving God thing. We always look at faith as we're moving God. We're trying to move God to do something for us. No, His promises are what determine whether He will or will not do something. If you can find a promise on it in the Word of God, then that's as good as gold. That's it. It's not, you do not have to, you know, like, bloody your knees begging God in, in faith to move for doing something. You need to find a promise and believe, and that believing is really opening yourself up to receive it when it comes. There are so many promises of God that people turn away from and don't receive even though God's freely given it because they're looking at circumstances, they're looking at the environment. They're looking at what's going on around them. They're looking for anything to... I mean, it's, it's really it's the mental normalcy bias. Like, where, wherever you're at in life, normalcy bias says, wherever you're at in life, you're going to normalize that to make it, like, bearable. Like, there's people that live in complete misery, but their normalcy bias normalizes that so they can live in it like Jewish people in concentration camps you know well why didn't they just you know there's 50,000 Jewish people in this camp and there's you know there's a hundred guards why didn't they just overrun them why didn't they do it normalcy bias 
they, they normalized their situation. They rationalized their situation and said, you know, surely we're going to get out of here. You know, if we just bide our time, if we do this, they're not going to kill us all. This is, it's normalcy bias makes any unbearable situation and you just, you normalize it so that you can live in it. And that's what looking at circumstances does to our faith. It like normalizes a lower degree of living so that we can just rationalize it and live in it instead of just going after the promises of God wholeheartedly and not worrying about circumstances and what's going on. If your spouse is awful and you want them saved and, they, and the more you pray, the worse they get. Do not normalize that. Do not say, well, this is just the way it's going to be. This is just, you know, well, God's got a plan. Oh, maybe it's God's will. All that stuff is normalizing a situation that's not based on God's promises. And what we want to do is believe because that makes us ready to receive. Believing is receiving. Faith is the substance things hope for. The substance means like it's the thing. It's, it's we've, we've got it when we have the faith for it. And so we need, we really need to get a grip on that and understand that, that our faith doesn't move God. God's already moved. But your faith moves you to open up and receive the promises of God. And that's true even when we're believing for, for loved ones and things like that. There's promises in the Bible. You and your household shall be saved. There are promises in the Bible that, that we have to hold on to. And no matter how bad the circumstances get, we concentrate on the promise instead of the circumstances because we know that it doesn't matter if we can rationalize the circumstances. All that's doing is pressing down on your faith. Whereas only concentrating on the promise increases your faith, increases your ability to receive what God's already given, what God's already promised. So we can't. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. It doesn't matter you know, how hard it looks. It doesn't matter how messed up we are inside. We need to believe the promises of God that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. That that we are free from sin. Who the Lord sets free is free indeed. That means in action, you are free. See, that's what faith is. It's ignoring the circumstances, no matter how loud they cry out. Just like this guy, Jesus knew. That was a really, really, really loud circumstance that just yelled in his faith, don't worry about it, your daughter's dead. I mean, that became a hopeless situation instantly. But Jesus can even work through hopeless situations when we only believe the promise. He said, it will be well with her. She'll live. It'll be fine. He gave him a promise to hold on to. But the, the command that went with the promise was only believe. Only believe the promise. Only believe the promise. Don't believe the circumstances. Don't believe the servant that just said your daughter's dead. Only believe the promise. And that's when we can receive the miracle. That's when we can receive the breakthrough. That's when we can receive the freedom. When we've stopped letting life and circumstances 
outshout the word of God. Because that's really what it is. I mean, people always say it. The devil, the devil shouts and God whispers. But we have to hear the whisper louder than we hear the shout. That's what faith is. It's hearing the whisper louder than the shout. So you can stand. We'll just close with prayer. We just thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, that whatever we see in ourself just takes a back seat to what you say we are in the word. The promises about what the new creature that we are, that's what we believe in. That's what we concentrate on. And the circumstances we see around us, the, the world, the, the badness of the world, the, the frustration of loved ones, the, the just everything, the, the lost loved ones that we have, all these things that, that weigh down on our faith, Lord God, we concentrate on your promises. You have not called us to judge circumstances. You have not called us to answer for why you will or won't do something. You've called us to only believe. Even in the hopeless, you've called us only to believe your promises. So I thank you, Lord God, for letting your promises just take on new life inside of our hearts. That we no longer look at what's going on, we look at your word. And we believe your word so that when it comes to pass, we're ready to receive it. That our faith is receiving what you've already given, what you've already supplied for, the promises that you've already made. You are bound to your word. There is one thing you are bound by, and that is your word. And so we renew our hope in your word where it says by your stripes we are healed we don't look at the circumstances and the symptoms we look at your promise and we are ready to receive when it says our children are healed when it says healing is the children's bread lord god we put our faith in your word not in what it looks like. We don't try to judge whether or not you will or won't because of this reason or that reason or the soul's more important than the body. It's not our place. Our place is to believe your promises. So I thank you, Lord God, for just renewed faith in your word. It will stand forever. The world the mountains will melt, the seas will dry up, this world will fade to nothing before one line out of the Word of God is void. Your Word, Lord God, stands eternal. You are Your Word. And so we put just the utmost faith in that Word and in those promises. And we just thank you, Lord God, that you always fulfill your promises. And where there are mitigating 
circumstances. It's up to you to figure that out. It's not up to us to figure it out. You know, we don't. We just simply believe your word. And I thank you, Lord God, for that word that is so powerful. That it's so powerful that it cuts. It's a sharp two-edged sword. Cutting bone from sinew, Lord God. Dividing us. Cutting off the flesh and the unbelief and the sin and just leaving us that pure Spirit of God that You've put inside of us. And we thank You, Jesus, for it. In the name of Jesus, amen.